I want to continue looking at uh, and considering what God's been doing amongst us. And it seems that um, there is no one thing that's defining what God's doing at, amongst us as a mo- at the moment as a people. For me, I know it's very much a, a, a heightened sense of the presence of God in my own personal quiet times. Uh, just a sense of the presence of God and just wanting to actually kneel before him and just be in his presence. Not even praying sometimes, just being in his presence. I came this morning. Um, I, was, I, was, I had a lie-in this morning because I wasn't on PA. So I didn't get here till nine o'clock this morning. And uh, the band weren't singing or anything. I just, but I just walked into this room and I just overwhelmed by the presence of God. And for me, when the presence of God overwhelms me, it sort of floods out through my tear ducts. <laughs> my eyes fill up. It's just the sense of God's presence with us. So there seems to be an, a raised awareness of his awesome greatness and a desire to worship him, to be closer to him, to know him more intimately than we've known him before. And last week, Neil encouraged us about revival and inspired us with stories from the Welsh Revival. I don't know about you, but I went away feeling, yes, God, I want some of that. I want some of that. You know, I want it to be our testimony, not a testimony from the early 1900s, but our testimony today of what God's doing. So, uh, so what God started to do amongst us for one, the presence of Holy Spirit seems to be more tangible than at any other time. And you know, there are three elements to the Holy Spirit that the Bible uses to describe the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to read about them from the account in Acts uh, chapter 2, the time when God gave the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. So I know it's not Pentecost Sunday, it's a few weeks away, but you can talk about this any time of the year, can't you? Okay, so uh, I've entitled it, I will pour out my spirit. So this is what Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 21 says. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Now, you need to know that Galileans were considered to be uh, a bit thick from the north, you know, ekithump and all that. Um, that's how they were considered. So aren't these all speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judah and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the other parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. It's quite a group there, isn't it? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language, in our own tongue. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. 
Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here in this account, we have the three elements of the Holy Spirit at work. A mighty rushing wind, or rather the sound of a mighty rushing wind. Then fire. Fire came into the room where they were and separated out and landed on each of their heads. And finally, having gone outside, Peter quotes the prophet Joel who says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Pouring out speaks of liquid. And where Holy Spirit is concerned, it's represented by water. In John chapter 7, verse 37 to 39, Jesus says that those who believed in him wouldn't thirst, but would have rivers of living water flowing out of them. And he goes on to say, this he spoke of the Holy Spirit that would be given to those who believed in him. So here we have very specifically the rivers of living water flowing out from people, uh, representing the Holy Spirit just overflowing, just like it was in these people as they spoke in tongues on that first Pentecost day. I'm going to go back and say some more about Holy Spirit and water shortly. But just look at the other two. Initially, Holy Spirit came uh, like the sound of a mighty rushing wind. Both the Hebrew word ruach and the Greek word noe contains the meaning of breath, specifically the breath of life. God breathes life into the first man, Adam. Jesus in John 20, 22, breathed on the disciples and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So it's no surprise that God breathed powerfully the breath of new life into these disciples. The life of Holy Spirit filled them and surrounded them. Strong wind seeks out and finds the things that are not firmly grounded and blows them away. We've had some strong winds over this last few days. And uh, I found uh, it's found branches of trees that are weak and it's broken them off. Down the lanes where I live, parts of the hedgerows have been blown into the road. And I arrived home on Thursday afternoon from work to find one of the fascia boards on the side of our house had blown off. It wasn't as secure as I thought it was. <laughs> one of the reasons the disciples were initially in the upper room was because of fear of the authorities. Jesus had been crucified and they were seen as his disciples and they might be next. And so, but after the resurrection, Jesus told them to stay there. So from the time of Jesus' crucifixion to the time of the giving of the Holy Spirit, they'd spent the best part of seven weeks in the upper room, waiting for God, waiting as Jesus had told them, praying and praising and I would imagine eating and sleeping as well. 
And then the Holy Spirit came like a mighty rushing wind and it blew away the one main weakness that these people had. And that was the fear of man. It just blew it away. And going outside, Peter stands up boldly with the 11 disciples and declares the truth about Jesus. The next thing the Holy Spirit brings on them is tongues of fire. Can you imagine it? There's this tremendous sound of a rushing. Have you heard wind when it's really blowing hard? It's quite something, isn't it? And uh, it's powerful. And they've got this noise of this powerful wind in the room. That must have been pretty scary to start off with. And then they've got fire. Fire in the room, swirling around and splitting up and breaking up and dividing itself and coming to rest on their heads. And before they know it, they're praising God in languages they've never learned. The two disciples, you remember, that were walking on the road to Emmaus, Jesus joined them and uh, they didn't re recognize who it was. And Jesus starts to open the scriptures to them and, and then he breaks bread and they realize who it is. And they said to, said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he spoke to us on the way? And they got up and they ran back to tell the disciples, we've seen Jesus. The burning within caused them to run back and to testify that they'd seen the risen Lord. The fire of the Holy Spirit caused the disciples to leave the upper room and share in varied languages that Jesus was alive and they were praising him. The cacophony of noise draws a crowd. And they look at the dis disciples who have now gone outside and they think they're drunk. That's how shambolic it looked. It looked that they were drunk and staggering around. And uh, it, look, it's only nine o'clock in the morning and these men are drunk. No, Peter tells them. It's what was promised by the prophet Joel some 450 years before. Quoting God, what God had said through Joel, he says, uh, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Young and old, Male and female alike, not just temporarily on selected people for a specific task, as in the Old Testament times, but on everyone who chooses to believe in Jesus and his finished work of salvation on the cross for the purpose of empowering them to, witness of Je to be witnesses of Jesus. Power to be witnesses of his love and grace. Note that in quoting Joel, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So the rivers of living water that well up within us are the result of having Holy Spirit poured upon us first of all. And in the same passage from Joel that Peter quotes, God says he sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains. And some translations use the term former and latter rains. That's the autumn and spring rains. And in Hosea, God says he will come to us like the winter rain, like spring rain that waters the earth. The autumn rain in Israel uh, falls around about September, October time. After a very dry, hot summer, the ground is baked hard. And the autumn rains come and it softens the ground, ready for plowing. It puts moisture in the ground to enable the new seed that's planted to germinate. Then four months later comes the spring rain. 
late around late February and into March, and that swells the grain ready for it to be harvested. These are symbolic. These are living pictures of God's outpouring of his Holy Spirit. This outpouring of Pentecost, this former rain, its purpose was to soften the ground, allow spiritual seed to be sown and to germinate. And we see lots of growth. 3,000 people saved, 5,000 people saved, non-Jewish people, Gentiles being brought into God's salvation plan. And the message rapidly spreading throughout the known world. That was the former rain. And the latter rain came in 1906 in Los Angeles. 1906. The location, 214, Bonnie Bray Street. On the third day of a 10-day fast, William Seymour began to preach to the prayer group from Acts chapter 2, verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Afterwards, Mr. Edward Lee asked Seymour to lay hands on him, as they did in the Scriptures, and pray that he would receive the Holy Ghost. When they finished, Lee lifted his hands and began speaking in tongues. This experience sent shockwaves through the room, and at the same time, a young lady named Jenny Moore fell from her stool where she was sitting. The power of God fell, and I was baptized in the Holy Ghost and fire with the evidence of speaking in tongues. As I looked at God, it seemed as if a vessel broke within me, and water surged up through my being, which when it had reached my mouth, it poured out in a torrent of languages God had given me. I sang under the power of the Spirit in many languages, and in the home where the meeting was held, the Spirit led me to the piano where I played and sang under the inspiration, although I had not learned how to play. Several other believers in the room were knocked to the ground by the power of the Spirit, and six of them began to speak in tongues as well. Their shouts of joy could be heard throughout the neighborhood as the prayer meeting overflowed to the front porch. Many curious neighbors gathered, and soon others began speaking in tongues and praising God. The word spread rapidly. By the next morning, the crowd had grown so great that it was difficult to approach the house. The porch became a pulpit as William Seymour began to preach to the crowd. This continued for three days and nights. It has been said that during this three-day street service, the house shook under the exuberant praising of a hungry people. Even on one occasion, the porch collapsed at the weight of all the people Services continued almost day and night with healings reported and hundreds of people filled with the Spirit. After the third day, it was determined that a new location was needed to house the growing crowd of seekers. William Seymour and his followers soon found a vacated two-story church building previously used to stable horses. It had been converted into apartment housing upstairs with a large, unfinished, barn-like room on the downstairs. Its address was 312 Azusa Street. The revival at Azusa stretched from the early morning, deep into the evening every day for three and a half years. One woman described the services with the following words. A sound like a rushing mighty wind filled the room, and I was baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire. 
Rivers of joy and love divine flooded my soul. God also gave me the Bible evidence of receiving this experience and letting me speak in another language. But the greatest joy in my heart was the knowledge that I had received power to witness for Christ and power to tell others what great things God can do in a human life. William Seymour would preach and soon, following his sermon, the altars were flooded with seekers. No urging was necessary. By the end of the first month, you could find 800 people gathered within the building and over 500 gathered outside and it only continued to grow. There was such power in the preached word that people would shake in their seats and many would have the power fall on them as the word germinated in their hearts and they would burst out speaking or singing in other languages. Holy Spirit, would they lay hands on them or would they receive the baptism and speak with tongues back in the audience or did they have a tarrying room or what? Well, they had a room upstairs they called the upper room where you went to tarry for the Holy Spirit. But we could not control the Spirit of God. Sometimes a person would receive the Holy Ghost right in an audience without even an altar call. They'd just stand right up and begin speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave up. I maintain you don't have to come to a specific place called an altar. You give up in your heart and the Lord will save you then, there, wherever you are. The people heard them speak in their own language. The Japanese, Chinese, and all the different nationalities, they heard them speak and the gospel was preached to them. You mean they had not learned these languages? Oh no, they had not learned because the Spirit of God filled them. Now you saw this and heard this with your own ears. I certainly did. Thousands of people visited the mission services over the course of three years, whether they were drawn by a spiritual hunger or a fascination for the bazaar. Whatever the case, those who came were impacted. Many who came with unkind motives left full of the Holy Ghost and a desire to spread the message of Pentecost. Hundreds of people were baptized with the Holy Ghost. Then hundreds turned into thousands, and thousands turned into millions. History records the Azusa Street Revival as the greatest revival to ever sweep across North America. More than any other time in Earth's history, we need the Spirit to fall again on us. Now is the time. Today is the day. We need a fresh outpouring of God's Spirit on our nation like never before. as well as people being filled with Holy Spirit at Azusa Street, amputated limbs grew back, the blind saw, one man came with his intestines out, literally hanging out, and somebody prayed for him and it went back in, and when they looked, there was no sign of a scar or anything. The skin had healed up completely. What's the purpose of the autumn former rain? Prepare the ground for ploughing, excuse me, sowing and germinating the seed. What is the purpose of the spring rain to prepare the crop for harvest? I believe what God's been doing with us recently, he's been sending the former rain of the Holy Spirit on us. He wants to soften our hearts, plant the seed of his life into soil in which it will germinate and grow and prepare us for the outpouring of his spirit that will bring 
the harvest. When Holy Spirit comes, he blows away the rubbish. Those things which are not securely rooted in him. His fire starts to burn within us, causing us to just want to share Jesus with others. The outpouring of Holy Spirit rain brings refreshing and washes clean. It cleans the atmosphere and it causes the crops to swell ready for the harvest. Is your heart like the parched land, longing for the rain of Holy Spirit to come and soak you? Is it? Is your heart longing for the Holy Spirit to come and soak you? To bring refreshing, to change the atmosphere, to enable you to share the good news of Jesus boldly and with power? And is this your prayer? 